I'm really excited though today I get to introduce a guest speaker. He's a good friend of mine. We actually went to Bible college together. We played college basketball together and then we went to seminary at the same seminary together. So we became very close friends. Him and his wife Angie. Angie's down here. Angie wave at everybody. Uh, this is his wife. They are from Tulsa, Oklahoma and uh, they pastor a church in Tulsa with a lot of young families. They're growing. They're actually having their best year ever this year and we're super excited for them but we're also excited to have him here today and i think it wasn't by accident that he was coming to preach on the sunday two days after we closed on our building god wanted him here and uh, he's going to continue in this mark series we're watching walking through the book of mark verse by verse for the next two years and so he's going to continue that today but this is my good friend so i need you to give a big old project church welcome to my friend chris dow come on make some noise church Hey, good morning. Uh, so I, I know my chances of a, a positive answer are pretty low. Do I have any fellow Kansans or Oklahomans? Yes, yes. I was hoping you guys would be here this morning. Yes, it's, it's just always, I mean, we love people from California too, right? But when you're far from home to know somebody's from home, so when I say y'all, at least somebody here is not going to think, you dumb redneck. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, so it, it'll be cool. But Angie and I are so excited to be here. Uh, this is my second time in Sacramento. The last time I came was when Caleb and I were in college. Our, our team came out here for a tournament. It's been a minute um, uh, since that happened. Last time I was here, I did not have gray hair, um, which you might not be able to see because I got it cut real close so that you hopefully wouldn't be able to see it. Um, I didn't have gray hair. I didn't have any kids, which is probably why I didn't have any gray hair. And my knees worked really well the last time I was here, not so much anymore. But it's been, it's been so much fun for Angie and I to come out and just see all that God is doing through Project Church. Uh, Project Church is something that, that I've known about and been a fan of since before you guys ever existed. I mean, from the, the time Caleb was back on the East Coast and saying, hey, I think I'm going to move back to Sacramento. I think maybe I'm going to plant a church. That might be what God's calling uh, Chrissy and I to do. So from, from those early days and then all the, the ways that God worked to get from there to here, um, we've just kind of been fans from afar and praying for you guys, giving to the vision, uh, just believing in what God is doing here. So it is, it's really exciting for Angie and I to get to be here on the Sunday after you have closed on your first permanent uh, location, and we're just really, really excited for that. Actually, um, last, I think it was maybe a little bit before Christmas, Caleb texted me and said, hey, would you want to come out in February and speak? And um, so, you know, talked to the wife and talked to Angie. We said, yeah, we can do that. Figured a date out that worked. And almost uh, at the same time we were doing that, I felt like God put a, a scripture on my heart for Project Church. Now, I thought it was going to be the message that I would preach when I came out here. And then a, a couple weeks later, Caleb texted and said, hey, actually, we're going to be in the second week of the series of Mark. So this is the passage. Can you do that? Now, because I'm a good friend and, and I understand pastor life, I said yes. Right? I did not say, well, actually, the Lord has spoken. And it's not from Mark chapter 1. It's from 2 Kings chapter three, right? Uh, but it, so I, I did though, earlier this week, I texted Caleb and said, look, I, I've got the Mark message done. I want to preach that. But here's something I felt like God said to me for, 
for you and Chrissy, and I believe it's for your church, but I'm going to submit that to you. You tell me yes or no. So he said, no, please do. So I want to take about two minutes here before we jump into Mark just to share something. Like Caleb was saying, I don't think it's coincidence um, that God put this on my heart back in uh, 2018, knowing that you guys were going to close on that building on Friday right before. So in 2 Kings chapter 3, there's a story of the, the Israelite army, and they're going to war, but they've kind of taken this roundabout way to meet their enemy, and they're stuck in the desert. And they get out there, and they run out of water. They've kind of marched around for about a week. They've run out of water resources, and they're really thinking, man, has God brought us out here to weaken us and deliver us into the hands of our enemies? So they go to one of the prophets, and they say, seek, seek the Lord. Tell us what he says. And God's response to them comes in 2 Kings 3, 16 and 17. This is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. You will not see wind or rain, but this valley will be filled with water. You, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. And, and so, now that might seem like a strange thing to say, hey, I think this is God's word to you about your cattle getting lots of water. Um, but here, here's what I think God is saying to Project Church right where you guys are right now. You're in a super exciting season. Right, this is, you're, you're about to go from a, a church that's just had all kinds of temporary locations to a, a permanent presence in the city where God has called you to be. That is incredible. But don't for a minute think that that building over on 2nd Street is the ultimate goal for Project Church. Right? You are, so, so in this passage, God tells the, the army, he says, you go out and you dig ditches. And then I'm going to fill them with water. You're building a container for the Spirit of God to fill up and flow out to bring life to everyone in this area. That's what this building is going to be, right? So, but it's going to be hard work. When I, was, when I was in junior high and high school, anytime I showed um, any lack of interest in my homework, my dad would tell me, you better get good grades or you're going to spend your life digging ditches. Uh, it was really encouraging, uh, you know, and I don't know why. I mean, there were lots of other things I could have done with bad grades, but he assumed all I would be able to do. To, but, but so there were a few times in my life, different odd jobs I would pick up. I'd have to dig a ditch, and I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it is hard work. You're entering into a season as a church of hard work, right? Like, we've been through the, the building process. Um, it's really fun on this end, and it's really fun on the other end when it's done, over the next 9, 10, 11 months, you're going to have to grind out some stuff. But in that space, remember what God has called you to do. You're not building a museum. You're not building a gathering space. You're digging ditches for God to fill with his power, fill with his presence, overflow with his spirit. So keep doing it. Man, keep doing it. He's going to do amazing things. And, and Angie and I can't wait to, like, we're here on the, the fun end of it. Right? Here we go. We got a building. We can't wait to come back when it's all done. And... Uh, <laughs> And just like enjoy it and uh, hear the, the headaches and hassles, but most importantly hear how God provided for you guys all along the way. And uh, man, I, I just really believe like Project Church has a great history, but you're just writing the first few paragraphs of the story God has for you guys. Like you, you think it's a book now. It's not. You're still in the introduction. Right? He's got a whole whole story left to write, and you guys get to be part of it here in Sacramento with what other churches are doing, with what God is doing. It's a really, really great spot. But hey, we're going to jump into Mark chapter 1 this morning. 
Caleb did a great job last week uh, kind of laying the, the groundwork for Mark's gospel. His gospel is basically the Cliff Notes version. Um, so you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the shortest, the most succinct, the one that gets to the point every single time. And so this morning we're jumping into a passage in verse 9 where Jesus is baptized and then led into the wilderness. There are other accounts of this in uh, other Gospels where they give more of the story, but like Mark is just to the point, so that's what we're going to be this morning as well. In verse 9 it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice, from, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Now this idea of being marked by God, I, I love it. I think that's such a, a unique and, and really a, a powerful way to look at the gospel. The gospel is God's message to us that we have been marked as his sons and his daughters, created to be brought into his family. The challenge, though, for some of us is, is we can come to church and we hear stories about Jesus, and instead of hearing them as he's my savior, he's my king, he's my lord, he's the one who's going to transform me, save me, we hear them as these are stories about Jesus, my role model, and what he did I need to now go out and try to do. And so as you read through the Gospel of Mark, you're going to read Jesus uh, telling you to do all kinds of crazy things. Jesus taking huge steps of faith. Jesus uh, performing all kinds of miracles and setting people free. If you view Jesus as your role model, you're going to leave each Sunday inspired to go to try to be like him, but you're going to fail. Because you're not Jesus. Right? And so the scriptures, they never present Jesus as our role model. They present him as our savior, as the one who will fill us with the spirit that will change our identity so we become like him. So instead of trying to do what he did in order to become more like him, we first become like him and then we start to do the things that he did. Right? So, so think of it this way. I'm from, uh, I'm from Tulsa, you know, so 90 miles down the, down the highway is Oklahoma City. So we have one professional sports team in Oklahoma that's all we got and so we are all in right and now I know I'm in king's country and that's fine uh, like we're good OKC has no beef with Sacramento right none at all now as you guys start getting better we might have some but for now because you're getting no 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 you're on the way up you're on the way up right you're on the way up in a couple years it won't hurt my heart so much when they lose to the kings because the kings are they're coming now, if we go down to the bay, there's some beef down there with OKC fans, right? Yeah, you know what? Well, I'm not even going to say his name. Um, <laughs> but there's some, there's some hurt feelings still in Oklahoma. But So Russell Westbrook, Russ is our guy. Like the last couple years, Thunder fans, we've went all in on Russ. This is actually one of my son's jerseys. My wife grabbed it for me out of their closet, so hopefully they weren't wanting to wear it while we're gone. But um, So Russ and I, we're about the same size, believe it or not. Russ is about 6'3", 6'4", 200 pounds. I'm 6'4", 200 pounds. Now, his 200 pounds is way different than my 200 pounds. <laughs> it is proportioned better and much more functional than mine is. In fact, my, I've got a 14-year-old boy who, um, he's kind of mouthy, you know, like 14-year-old boys are. And so I'll occasionally tell him, we'll be watching a Thunder game, and I'll tell him, hey, Connor, you know, Russ and I, we're the same size. And he's like, yeah, but you're a totally different kind of man. Uh, <laughs> you know, which... 
it's hurtful <laughs> to hear from your son. But so let's say I go to a Thunder game and I'm sitting, when my family goes, we sit way up, they call it Loud City, which means you are up by the ceiling, okay? Uh, and so we're way up there and, and let's say in the game, uh, all of the Thunder bench players foul out. It's at the end, Russ is super tired, he needs to come out and catch a breather, and for some reason, we don't know why, they look all the way up to the top, and they see uh, me in, in my kid's Russell Westbrook jersey, and like, hey, yeah, you look about the same size and weight, will you please come down here and take Russ's spot on the court? Well, this is like a dream come true for me, right? Like, this is everything I've always hoped for, but I get out there, and it becomes painfully obvious to everyone in the arena, that is not Russell Westbrook. That guy's wearing the jersey, but he doesn't have the DNA. And if they don't get it just from me walking out with my much lighter skin, they're going to understand it the first time the ball's inbounded and I come to bring it up the court and Billy Donovan, the Thunder coach, yells, run! And I look back at him and yell, I am! This is what running looks like when you're 37 with arthritic knees, right? It's a little, like, awkward and painful and look like a baby giraffe almost at times. But, but I'll get there, right? Nobody's going to mistake me for Russell Westbrook just because I wear the jersey. But let's say that they call me down there. And as Russ comes out, he, he rips off his game-worn jersey and throws it at me. And I put on his game-worn jersey, and, and something in there, like the, the magic happens. And suddenly, I'm not just wearing the jersey, but I've got the DNA, and my 200 pounds transforms into his 200 pounds. My knees become his knees. My, maybe not my mouth becomes his mouth. But every, everything else, right? Because that guy can talk some trash. But uh, so, so everything else. And suddenly, right, this is, this is the way the gospel presents Jesus to us. Too many of us as, as, as followers of Jesus, we settle for just wearing a jersey. Right? Like, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to do what he did. How hard can it be? It's really hard. It's really hard to do what Jesus did. You ever been slapped in the face? I have. Did I want to turn a cheek? No. Right? The only part of Jesus that I can do on my own is when he goes and flips over tables and does stuff like that. Like, I got that down. That's it. Jesus isn't coming to be your role model. He's coming to be your savior. He's coming to transform your identity. And what we're going to see today is for us to be marked by God does not just mean you wear the jersey, but it means you become the player. Right? You get his DNA. You get his power. You get his presence. You get his spirit living in you and working in you. And that makes all the difference in the world. So this whole time as you're working through the gospel of Mark, I want you to keep that idea in mind. Jesus is not my role model. He's my savior. He's my king, and it's his Holy Spirit that enables me to live as he calls me to live. All right, so we read this story about Jesus. He's, he's being baptized. He comes down to, um, down to John in the Jordan River. Now, Jesus' baptism is the fulfillment of the prophecies about John. As Caleb talked about last week, John was the one who was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. His message of repentance was a message of preparation for the arrival of Jesus. John highlights people's sins and points to Jesus as the source of salvation. So when Jesus comes to the Jordan, it is an affirmation of John's calling and of his obedience as the prophet who prepares the way for the Lord. So Jesus comes and he's baptized, and not baptized because he needs to be. He knows who he is and why he's come. But he's baptized to fulfill John's calling. He's baptized to make it more clear to everyone the Messiah has come. 
And then as he's baptized, it says as he comes up out of the water, the heavens are torn open and the spirit descends. Now, in in Mark's gospel, we don't know if other people pick up on this, like if this is observable to those gathered on the banks uh, or, or if this is just Jesus telling us. But what we do know is that Mark chooses a couple words here that are important for us to pay attention to. The first thing he says is the heavens are ripped. The heavens are torn open. Now, throughout the Old Testament, you can read stories of the heavens being opened. Right? And, and they're opened, and God comes, they're opened, and an angel speaks, they're opened, and there's a vision that comes. But the idea of being opened also contains the possibility of it being closed. When Mark announces the arrival of Jesus at his baptism, he chooses this word ripped or torn to help us understand that God is inaugurating a new season that will not be closed. He's not just opening the door for a work of grace while Jesus is on the earth, but he is ripping open the heavens, and it's not so much about now our access to God, it's about God's access to us. And then he says the heavens are ripped open and the spirit descends like a dove. Now it doesn't, you know, our our mind, we always see, maybe you grew up with those pictures of there's a dove that comes and sits on Jesus' shoulder. It's not actually what he says. He says the spirit comes like a dove, comes gently on Jesus. But so the heavens are ripped open, and what happens? The Spirit descends. And so Mark is teaching us God is inaugurating a new season of the Spirit in the world. At the baptism of Jesus, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all present, all active in this space, affirming and confirming this is a new day, this is a new season. The Spirit is on the loose. And the good news for us today is the heavens have not been closed. Right? From that day to this day, the Spirit remains on the loose, chasing after you, chasing after me, pursuing us, bringing us to the point where we understand Jesus was marked by God so that I can be marked by God. Jesus became like me so that I can become like him through the power and the presence of his Spirit living in me. So you keep reading through the baptism story and you see Jesus was marked first of all as God's son. It says, this is my son, you are my son. God claimed Jesus as his own, and he is separating him here from every prophet, every preacher, every religious leader, every teacher that's come before him. God is not saying you are my son in the the, the sense that we are all the sons and daughters of God, the the sense that all humanity is created in his image. He's saying you are my, my capital S, son, unique part of me, co-eternal. He's pointing us to the divinity of Jesus. If we have any hope of being marked by God, we need a divine initiator in that process. And Jesus is that for us. So he's not only marked as God's son, he's also marked as the one whom God loves. You are my son, the one I love. Now that, that term love is, again, not just the generic, the way God loves us all, but it can, in some translations, they translate it, you are my son, my beloved. And, in, and it should point us to passages like John 3.16 where it tells us that God loved the world so much he sent his one and only. And that idea of one and only carries the same ideas of my, the one I love, my beloved. Pointing us to the uniqueness of Jesus. That God's love is expressed to him and through him in a unique and powerful way. So Jesus is marked as the son of God. Jesus is marked as the one whom God loves. And the, the last thing we see here is Jesus is marked as the the source, the object of God's pleasure. 
right? That, that last verse says, a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. There was nothing in Jesus of Nazareth that was displeasing to God. He didn't have any skeletons in his closet. Right? He didn't have, like, all of us this morning, there are some stories that we could be told about us that we would rather not be told. Right? Caleb told me the other day, he said, hey, when I came to your church, I was kind and did not tell embarrassing stories. Please, please have my back. And I do. Right? I do. Now, you want to talk later, we can talk. But no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Kind of. Some funny ones, though. Um, but... But we've all got stuff there, and, and it's not just us, right? Jesus comes, and God says, this is my son, I love him, and I'm pleased with him. Now, it's important for Jesus to be the full satisfaction of God, for him to be able to satisfy God's wrath towards our sins. If there's something displeasing in Jesus, he is no longer capable of serving as the perfect and final sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever studied other world religions. I, I have a, a little bit. And I really enjoyed reading some of the stories of the founders of these religions. And what you'll find as you read through those stories is, you know, they, they did a lot of good things. They had a lot of wisdom. Um, they helped a lot of people. But in every instance of every religious leader around the world throughout history, they all have skeletons in their closet. They all have things that they're ashamed of. They all did some stuff that their, their followers have now spent sometimes thousands of years trying to explain away or trying to rationalize or trying to say, well, that became before their enlightenment. That was before the revelation, so you can't hold it against him. What God is telling us about Jesus is, I have marked him as my son, I've marked him as the one I love, and I've marked him as the absolute perfect one. I am fully and finally pleased with him, and this allows Jesus to come and be the perfect and final sacrifice for us. Now, now Mark tells us Jesus is, is marked by God. He's marked by God in these three ways, and then the question we have to, to ask is, well, what does that mean for us? As we talked about earlier, it does not mean that Jesus is your role model, and so you need to go try to be marked in the same way. You need to try to have the same baptism experience, but it means what Jesus has achieved, he now shares with you. So you are marked as God's child. You are marked as God's son. You are marked as God's daughter. That is your primary and most important identity in life. It is foundational to all that you do, to every relationship that you have. Now, if you're like me, you've got a lot of titles in your life. Right? In, in some spaces, my wife's a nurse. When I go to a work party, I'm known as Angie's husband. Right? A kid, I've got three kids, so depending on where I am, I am... Connor's dad, I am Corbin's dad, or I am Audrey's dad. If I'm at a, like a church function, I am Chris, the pastor of Christian Chapel. If I'm with my family, I'm, you know, out in western Oklahoma when we go see all my dad's extended family, there are segments of there where I'm still simply known as, that's Steve's boy. Like, I don't, I don't even have a name. You know, I'm just one of the, like, ah, there's 20-something grandkids. I think that one's Steve's boy. Like, I'm 37 years old. I'm not anybody's boy anymore. I'm a man, you know, but it doesn't matter. That's who I am. In that space, that's who I am. Right? There are times on, on Saturday mornings back in Tulsa, I am the coach of one of the best fifth grade teams in the Tulsa area. Right? I mean, my boys, they will whip fifth graders. And it's fun. And sometimes to the ref, I'm the ridiculous coach that needs to stop yelling and sit down. When I drive on the highway, sometimes I'm the jerk that just cuts you off. 
right? I'm the impatient person honking behind you, or I'm the person staring at the, at the stoplight, staring at my phone, and sitting through a whole cycle of the light while you go into road rage behind me. We've got all of these titles, and, and you've got them too, and each title carries different responsibilities. Each title carries different weight. Some of them make you feel really proud. Some of them make you feel kind of ashamed. Some of them make you feel strong. Some of them make you feel weak, but what we're going to learn over and over and over again through the Gospel of Mark is before you were anything, you were the son of God, you were the daughter of God. And it's from that space that you are then able to learn about God's love and learn about his care. And that's the next thing we see. We're marked not only as his children, but we're marked by his love. And we all, everybody, even the, the, the toughest dude in here, you want to be loved. You want to hear from someone else, I love you. Right? If, if you're a dad, the three most powerful words you can speak to your child, I love you. They need to hear it over and over and over again. And for some of us, we have made a, a, life, a lifelong bad decisions because we never heard those three words. And so you've went looking for that love in all other kinds of places. You didn't hear it from mom. You didn't hear it from dad. So you started looking for it from boyfriends and girlfriends. You got in some, involved in some relationships you never should have been in, but you couldn't get out of them. And the reason you couldn't get out of them is because those three words had so much power in your life. They said, I love you, and you found meaning, and you found hope, and you found identity, regardless of how poorly you were being treated. So what we have to understand is not only are we God's son, not only are we God's daughter, but we are loved by God. And he doesn't love us because of what we do. He loves us because of who we are. All right, I've got three kids. You know why I love them? Because they're mine. Like, I I've been there every step of the way, and they're... There are some days they're not especially pleasant to be around, <laughs> right? There's some, like, we've had those days of, like, hey, we, we took you on this great trip. We had all these great meals, and, yeah, but, Dad, you didn't buy me the one thing that are, like, what are you talking about? I've given you everything, but, but I don't stop loving them because they're mine. Right? They belong to me. They belong to Angie. This is what Mark is trying to teach us about our identity in Christ. Because Jesus was the son of God, he now shares that identity with us. So we're not just brought in as followers in a religious movement. We are brought in as family members, as sons and daughters. And in this family, it's a family defined by love. You always have been and you always will be loved by God. And his love didn't start with your efforts and it's not going to stop because of your lack of effort. His love just comes because, you know, you're his. You are his. And then that last thing, you are marked by God's pleasure. And sometimes this is the hardest one for some of us to understand. Because we get a little bit of like, okay, I know what it's like for a parent to love. I know what it's like to find your identity but for somebody to be pleased with us, for most of us, we feel like we have to do something before you're going to be pleased with me. Now, now, if you're wired like I am, like my wife is, uh, we are, we're achievers. Right, we, we like to work hard. We're, as, as kids, even now as adults, we're fairly competitive people. And, and we, so our whole life has been kind of defined by this idea of people like you and people respect you when you do good at the stuff that you're supposed to be working at. So as students, we found our identity in our grades. And the better our grades were, the more pleasure we received or, or were given from teachers, from parents, from those in authority. 
As athletes, the more we won, the more we did our job on the court, the more praise we were given by our coaches, by fans, by teammates. Even now, as a pastor, it can be easy for me to begin to find my identity in what I do. And to think, well, hey, if if there's a lot of people that show up on Sunday, I must be doing pretty good. And if there's not, I must be doing pretty bad. And, And so for a lot of us, what we wind up doing is we understand this idea of this is my identity in Christ. So here I was in my sin and my lostness. I was down here. Now Jesus comes and saves me and he says, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. And we think, okay, now I'm going to earn that. We try to earn what we've already received. We try to live up to this identity instead of living out of this identity. Does that make sense? I mean, this is something God has been teaching me over the past year. I'm 37 years old. How many times am I going to have to learn the same lesson that I did nothing to earn this and I'm not going to stop earning it now that he's given it to me? I've just got to keep living out of it. And so God's message to you is you are not only marked as his son, as his daughter, you're not just marked by his love, you are marked by his pleasure. When God looks at you, he sees the finished work of Jesus Christ and says, I am well pleased. And that should lift a tremendous weight off of your shoulders. You should relax, right? You're still going to work hard, but it's not the same grind because you're not trying to earn it. You're still going to go to church. You're still going to give. You're still going to worship, but you're doing these things now out of your identity instead of trying to live up to your identity. They become sources of freedom and life instead of additional religious chains that are being piled on you. Now, that's the space where we want to live. Right? I mean, I want to come up out of the waters of the Jordan knowing that I am God's son, he loves me, he is pleased with me, and I'm just going to stay here, me and John the Baptist hanging out forever with the heavens being ripped open above us. And yet after Jesus' baptism, it says the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. After this profound and powerful spiritual experience, he was sent out. And that that little phrase, that verb there, sent out, what it carries with it is this idea of being compelled away from where you are. Being propelled from one space into another. The Spirit takes Jesus from his baptism, from this confirmation of who he is, out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the enemy. And I believe the reason that happens is so that you and I will understand we are marked by God. And his mark does not depend on our circumstances or on our location. It's easy to believe you're marked by God when you're standing on the banks of the Jordan, still wet from your baptism, and John the Baptist is standing there. But when you're on day 29 in the wilderness, and your hair, your beard, your clothes, long ago, all of the last baptism waters dried up from out of them. And you're being tempted, and there's no one around but the wild animals in that space then we start to wonder about our identity. Then we start to think, well, God, you said I was your son. Where are you? God, you said you loved me. Why does this junk keep happening? God, you said you were pleased with me. Why does my life look like you're really mad at me? You see, it's in the wilderness that the enemy comes and he uses your circumstances to attack your identity. And he tries to tell you, no, you're not marked. Jesus was marked, but you're not. Because I know who you are. You think you're a son or daughter of God, but I know what you did when you were a teenager. 
You think you're loved by him, but I know what you looked at last night. You think you're, you're pleased, that God is pleased with you, but I know who you really are. And the enemy will start to come, and, and in those desert experiences, he's going to start to attack, to try to strip away, to try to peel back. But the, the wonderful news of the gospel and what we see in the story of Jesus is that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And it's on the banks of the Jordan that, that we're, we're told, you are God's son, you are God's daughter, you are loved and he is pleased. But it's in the wilderness that you really own that. It's in the wilderness where you really believe it. I mean, the, the greatest spiritual lessons of my life have never occurred in seasons of plenty and excess when life is good and life is smooth. I wish they did. But it's always been in the desert. It's always been those seasons where my body failed me, where a dream died, where I experienced the pain of betrayal, where I mourned the loss of a loved one. Where I prayed and said, God, I thought you were going to heal, but instead we're at the funeral. It's always been in the desert where I've most clearly heard God say, you are my child. It's always been in the desert when everything else is stripped away that I've understood I'm loved by God. It's always been in the desert when everything I've built my life on has been taken away and is of no value to get me out of this pain. That I've learned God's pleasure has nothing to do with me and everything to do with what Jesus has done for me. Now, I still don't seek the desert. There hasn't been a single time in my life that I've thought, God, my faith is shallow and I am immature. Will you please send me hardship and difficulty? Will you propel me into the desert? Will you raise up some enemies to attack me? Can you rip that ligament in my knee one more time? Never prayed. I'm never going to pray those prayers. I'm kind of tired of the desert at times, honestly. I just want to be in the promised land. I want to be in the land where I'm, I'm fully and finally uncertain of my identity and of God's love and of his pleasure. And Jesus promises that day will come. But between now and then, there's going to be some desert moments. There's going to be some times in the wilderness. But in the wilderness, your identity doesn't change. In the wilderness, his power doesn't change. He was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet was without sin. So in your pain this morning, Jesus identifies with you. Right? In, in those, those lies, the enemy's lobbying at you of, yeah, God loves that guy. God loves the people next to you. He doesn't love you. Jesus is coming and saying, no, I do. No, I do. I went, through, I went through a deeper hell than you're in so that you would know I had victory over what you're facing. All right, the enemy's lying to you and saying, God's not pleased. He knows what you've done. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I know what you've done. That's why I've come. I didn't move towards you because you were good and wonderful and awesome. I moved towards you because you were a mess. Because you were dead, you were dying, you were alone. We have been marked as the sons and daughters of God. We've been marked as those who've been loved and chosen by God. We've been marked as those over whom he declares, I am pleased with you because your life is Christ. 
So I don't know what you're facing this morning, but I believe that the Spirit wants to come and wants you to see the heavens have been ripped open. The Spirit has descended. The work of Christ is finished, final, and perfect for your life. And he's not going to be stopped by your circumstances. He's not going to be stopped by your husband that doesn't believe. He's not going to be stopped by your kids that give you a hard time. He's not going to be stopped by your brokenness or your addiction. He's going to keep pursuing you to bring you into a full understanding and awareness of your identity and how it changes everything in your life. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for you.